Hi, this is Megan McHugh, and this is the podcast of Triple R Zero G, a weekly radio show exploring science fiction, fantasy, and historical. Zero G is broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Monday. Hope you enjoy the podcast, and feel free to get in touch with us via our Facebook page or the Triple R website. G'day, welcome aboard the Starship Zero G Science Fiction, Fantasy and Historical Radio for episode number 1363, entitled Anyone for Squidditch? Our podcast title is Cephalopod. I hope you've all got your pink soldiers ready to go. And that track was Pink Soldiers from the soundtrack of Squid Game, which you may have guessed, uh, and that was composed by Jung Jae-il and Park Min-ju. I am Rob Jam. And Megan McHugh. And we're going to play a game today. (laughs) (laughs) Not that kind of a game, or is it? Yeah. yeah. Um, Yes, we are going to dig into the worldwide sensation, I think it's fair to say, um, called Squid Game, now on Netflix, the Korean thriller, and its Korean title is Ochingo Game, and it is now showing, came out about mid-September, and so it's had almost a month to gain a bit of momentum on Netflix. It is number one in 90 countries, including Korea itself and the US as well. And it's actually competing with shows like Bridgerton, Lupin, and The Witcher for one of Netflix's biggest series, which is a particular achievement and a milestone for a non-English speaking show because quite commonly the English speaking shows do find a lot of worldwide success, but it's pretty amazing and quite a proud achievement that uh, one of Korea Netflix's shows has been such a phenomenon internationally. And it was actually a surprise even to Netflix themselves. So (laughs) Rob and I are going to dig a little bit into Squid Game, which you probably have heard at least in title, if not watched it yourself already. If you haven't, don't worry. We're not going to go down the track of revealing any important spoilers or plot points, and we're actually going to try and keep it pretty light on specific details, specifically for the fact that I think a lot of the twists and turns of the drama are something that's great to uh, experience yourself firsthand. We don't want to ruin it for you, certainly Mm. not. I'll give you a couple of intro details to begin. It is a South Korean thriller drama, and it involves players competing in a series of deadly games for the chance at a huge cash prize. The games are generally all childhood playground games that are popular in Korea, but also well wide. We won't give any more specifics on that. Uh, The games do start with hundreds of players and as you can imagine the numbers do get whittled down as simultaneously the cash prize jackpot goes up. Now it is, you might have guessed, uh, it's a pretty violent show so just adding that little disclaimer as well if you find it has caught your eye and you're interested, uh, just a bit of a warning that it is pretty gory but it is I'd like to describe as Tarantino violence. It's pretty over the top, uh, but I still will flag there's some probably some disturbing scenes and a bit of gore and things like that. So if that's not your bag, maybe avoid this one or just go in, you know, with with eyes open 
from the premise, you can probably gather that there's been some comparisons to things like Battle Royale, which was a manga and then a series of movies. The Hunger Games, of course, another young adult dystopian with similar premise of, you know, winner takes all, fight for your life, survival type of premise. And another Japanese Netflix show, actually, which is set in a dystopia where people must play games to survive. And that one's called Alice in Borderland. Uh, and that's on Netflix as well. And there's also been some comparisons to the sensational film Parasite by Pong Joon-ho, which came out a couple of years ago. And that's mainly around some of the themes and things that have emerged from Squid Game. So Squid Game is the vision and sort of, uh, I guess, creative baby of Hwang Dong-hyuk. He wrote and directed every single episode of season one, which is a pretty amazing feat in itself. And he was actually inspired by the manga novel of Battle Royale. So that kind of all checks out. He was interested in that idea um, of that survival game aspect. And the Squid Game, which appears sort of very early on in the very intro, so I don't think that's a spoiler, but Squid Game from the title was a popular playground game in Korea in the 70s and 80s, and that was something he grew up playing. So before we dive in, I thought it would be very interesting to maybe um, talk a little bit about why I think this has actually become such a popular phenomenon. Had you heard much about this before I kind of brought it up, Rob, seen it around the place or anything like that? I saw a reference to it online about an hour before we talked about it, Ah, and I thought, this looks quite interesting. And I've been kind of fascinated by these sorts of deadly game shows mm, mm-hmm, for mm-hmm. a long time. The lethal play trope, well, look, it goes back for a long way, but I'm thinking in particular of a short story from 1924 called The Most Dangerous Game, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. where people who get marooned on this island end up being hunted by mm-hmm. a Russian aristocrat. Yep. Hence the title, The Most mm-hmm. Dangerous Game is Man. Hunting Man, yeah. yes. Mm-hmm. And so that, that that blossomed out into all sorts of uh, radio plays and a movie and, and all sorts of things. Mm-hmm. But that mm-hmm. trope has echoed on through popular entertainment. Once, once you combine it with team sports, which are naturally lethal anyway, <laughs> <laughs> then you end up with that sort of thing. Like you were saying, the Hunger Games. And I, I'm also thinking of Maze Runner. Oh, yes. Another, yep, YA dystopian fantasy, dystopian series. And the series of movies called The Cube. Mm, yep. <laughs> which throw in a kind of a, um, a more surreal aesthetic in their design, which I think also matches Squid Game. And even mm. even movies like Rollerball and the Saw Slasher films. Yeah, definitely elements of that. And I think the kind of voyeurism piece as well and, and that sort of, yeah, kind of playing off two different groups. I think, you know, there's a couple of factors that's kind of come together in a bit of a perfect storm for why Squid Games reached the success it has. As I mentioned, the Alice in Borderland show, it didn't come out that long ago and it's a similar premise um, but didn't quite reach the same heights. And I think so some of Squid Games' success could maybe be attributed to the success of Parasite, which has raised the profile of Korean art, culture and cinema. And there's a lot of Korean horror and thriller content that has been on streaming, particularly Netflix, um, uh, like things like Train to Busan, The Host, Hashtag Alive, Sweet Home, The Zombie Show Kingdom, which we've um, enjoyed here on Zero G. So I think 
it's sort of made a bit of a name for itself for Korean cinema as having a lot of good thriller, gory elements with a bit of that social message underneath. And streaming in general does mean we have a bit more access to international content at the moment. So I think as well, it's got quite a strong visual aesthetic. Mm. So you will have seen at least the very, um, the promotional material. So you've got the pink uniforms with the signature shape helmets with the square triangle circle and so on. The kind of cultish track suits for the players with the white vans and these pastel Escher stairways and false doors that play a kind of a big role in the setup as well. So a really strong creative kind of aesthetic setup as well is really easy to draw people in and makes it quite recognizable. And of course it delves into the universal themes of things like inequality and debt and struggle and also, you know, what humans will do to get ahead and betrayal and all of those classic tropes. And finally, I do think it's something around the juxtaposition of that childhood games with the bright colours and this gory kind of splatter violence as well. So all of that coming together, I think it's now riding a bit of a hype wave where people are tuning in to see what the fuss is about and so they can understand all the memes they've seen about the show as well. But, you know, it's that word of mouth. It's got that momentum now. So, you know, the actors are appearing on late night US TV, doing a lot of PR around the show. And it's also lifting elements of Korean culture that appear in the show as well. Uh, and I think that's something that people have shown more curiosity around both the actors and some of the content that's shown in the show. So a lot of the actors in this, which we'll talk about a little bit later, are popular and well-known in Korea, but now experiencing a bit of a rise to fame with international audiences so yeah i was thinking that i've seen at least one of uh huang dong huak's films before and that's uh the fortress ah okay 2017 which was a a film set in 17th century korea when they were invaded by the uh uh, one of the manchu dynasties Ah. Uh, which was a really strong movie and it's interesting to see how he manages to flip from something that big to Mm. a television series, which everybody has described as being very cinematic. Yeah, yeah. There's definitely, you know, it's pretty, it's pacey. The shots are amazing. It's got that really big vision. Like I mentioned, it is pretty cinematic. I think he did struggle to get this made though. And I think that's, it's a bit of a one man show because it had to be. Um, But I think too, it's, there's a really clear hook or cliffhanger at the end of, of most of the episodes. So it's very binge worthy and it starts to pick up a lot of pace midway through. So I think that's also going to attract people and keep you going. Before we delve into some of the details around who appears in the show and a little bit more about our thoughts so far, um, we might play something else from the score. So this you might recognize if you've seen it. This is the track Way Back Then, and this is again by Jung Jae-il and Park Min-ju from Squid Game, which is now on Netflix. This is Jack Dan, author of Bad Medicine for Zero G. The science fiction, fantasy, and historical radio show on 3 Triple R FM. That was Way Back Then by Chung Chae-il and Park Min-ju from the score and soundtrack to Squid Game or Ochingo Game, which is on Netflix now. Uh, on a, probably on a screen near you because it's experienced quite the success. So Rob and I are chatting a little bit about that as well as our thoughts on the series. 
So as we mentioned in the sort of intro, we've got all of these different characters from different walks of life, I think is still fair to say, thrown into a game where they will compete for a gigantic cash prize. So I think important in this kind of premise is we need to have some really strongly drawn characters that you can really connect with and distinguish from the bunch and kind of, you know, engage with their backstory amidst the chaos of of all the other rules and sort of context and world building that you're kind of having to come to grips with. It is a very contained show pretty much and we do stick, they really kind of focus in on some key players, so to speak, uh, that we learn a little bit more and more and more about as the show goes on. So at the front part of the season, we learn a lot about these characters' backstory, how they got where they are, and, uh, you know, there's a lot of hardship and down-on-your-luck stories and there's some sad personal histories. But there's also stories of some people who've made choices that have led to where they are and have had a bit of agency in their decisions as well. So we get a little bit of that, but a lot of the the show is, is spent in this premise of the game. So... I'll outline a couple of our key characters. Let's stick with the players, some of our player characters. So this won't be a full expansive view because, as we mentioned, we want to keep some things a little bit mysterious. So we've got Yi Chongche, who plays Song Ki-hun, and he's also known as number 456. Uh, He's a chauffeur and a bit of a deadbeat, for lack of a better term, who lives off his elderly mother and has a gambling problem. Uh, And actually, uh, Chongche is very popular and well-known actor in Korea, and he rose to fame in the 90s. He did experience the classic bit of a lag around maybe the 10s, 2000s, and has had a bit of a resurgence. And his most recent TV resurgence has involved his appearance in Squid Game. So he's a very familiar face to Korean audiences. But again, for us, it's the first time I've seen him in anything. And he is one of the sort of key protagonists in this, I think is fair to say. Yes, he has hidden depths, this man. Mm. Uh, he starts out as a, as a fairly vile sort of character and 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 pitiable too. Very, yeah, bit pathetic, yeah, and, and ne'er do well. <laughs> yes, but he does. I feel he rises to the occasion, which is really sad when you think about what he's got to go through to get there. Absolutely, and I think it's a very credit to that actor as well. I think he does a really fine job of showing that character's layers as well as his flaws that still exist. And you kind of need to remind yourself, oh, no, this this guy's done some stuff too. You know, he's not a saint. Mm. Uh, and, you know, they really hone in a lot of close-ups on, on his – he's got a very expressive face and he sells a lot of these kind of interactions and emotions. So we also have key uh, character Pak Hesu. So he plays a character called uh, Cho Sang-ju and he is number 218. And Sang-ju is a former investment banker uh, but currently wanted by police. Let's say that uh, for number 218. And he he does also know Gi-hun as well. So they do have a connection in the the outer real world and uh he's another interesting he's another interesting character he's the sort of subject of not exactly a running gag but it's always being pointed out by his friend that hey he was a great student at the Seoul National University. He's got all these, he's got a degree and went to business school, very successful. Um, and it's funny that he keeps introducing him that way amidst all this carnage. They never cease to say, oh, wow, that's very impressive. 
Exactly. Even though, yeah, this game, The Great Equalizer, where they're all kind of scrabbling for the same bits, and it's like, oh, no, but he went to SNU. Uh, so also in the uh, lineup, we have a character called Kang Se Pyok, and she is played by Chong Ho Yong, and she's a um, successful model, very well-known successful model, and this is actually her acting debut. She plays number 67, and uh, number 67 is a North Korean defector, and she's a very, very interesting um, customer. So she's quite cold, a bit reserved, and you learn a little bit more about about her. She's a tough cookie as well as having a pretty sad backstory as well. Mm. Um, She's a nice addition into the mix there. And she's also got a lot of agency herself. She does, yep. Mm -mm -mm. Um, We've also got Oh Young-soo, who plays a character called Oh Il-nam, uh, he's number one, zero, zero, one. He's an elderly dying man and he is there because, um, you know, his options are, are thinning out and so he's also there privy to playing in the game. So, yes, we've got him as well. And then the last player that I'll mention, we do have quite a few other strong characters in here, but I won't go through them all. The last one we'll mention is um, Anupam Tripathi and he plays a character called Abdul Ali, uh, number 199. I think Ooh. Ali Abdul actually, sorry. And uh, he plays a worker from Pakistan who's living in Korea. And um, Anupam is an Indian actor who's living in Korea and he has appeared in some different Korean dramas and so on. And I think that's quite an interesting character inclusion as well. Um, So he's, uh, I think, the only non-Korean character in here in in the player group. I wanted to call out 212 as well. Ah, yes, sure. Go for it. Yeah. She's the... Hard bitten, street wise, mm. most expressive of the characters. Yeah. And she says that she was a poor single mother, but mm-hmm. most of the things that she says are not true or subject, yes. to, <laughs> subject to the usual wobbly narrator trope. Yes. And I actually liked her a lot because she comes up with all sorts of ideas. She's just trying to survive and it doesn't always work out well for her what she has to do to make it, make it all fly. But again, she's a very honest character as well. She she feels mm. like she knows what she's doing, even when she doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Very um, strong-willed character for sure. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. And so I think, you know, if we're running through some of the players. I think it's important to mention that I think key in a show like this is you need some people to grip onto. Mm. And um, I think the show does that pretty well. Uh, what's your kind of assessment of of your thoughts on the show, Rob, given that, you know, we do see a lot of this similar premise, this kind of survival game trope. Uh, so there's some of this that's not new per se, but, um, yeah, how did you think about this this take of, on it? I, I found it quite engrossing as well, mm. as, as, well as quite grossing out at several parts. <laughs> yes. Uh, you know me, I look at it and I go, what's their procedural? And in this mm. case, it's excellent. Mm-hmm. They have three rules, like mm-hmm. like Asimov's three rules of robotics, uh-uh. and uh, a player is not allowed to stop playing. A player who refuses to play will be eliminated. Mm-hmm. And at first, we don't really know what that means, but we will find out. And games may be terminated if the majority agrees, i.e., by a vote. Yeah. Now these are some strange sorts of rules in in some respects, especially that last one. But they do serve to drive the plot forwards at a cracking pace and at, and at a pace that is never dull or non-exhilarating. Mm. I've found that I can't stop watching this show. 
Yes, it's hooked you and it knows it's doing that. But I definitely agree. I think the pace is really, really well done. Each episode itself, the pace of that and what it includes and each episode has its place in the arc of the season as well. And just the way they build up certain character stories and relationships. There's a key episode that's a bit of a pivot point in my mind um, and that is the Kanbu the Kanbu episode. I won't say much more about that. If you've seen it, you'll know it's episode six. Uh, and then it, it, it really, that one really hit me. It was, I think one of the finest episodes in the bunch and it pays off on a lot of the ideas that we've seen grow so far and then creates some tension and sets up some interesting character turns for the rest of the season. So I, I mean, this show's right up my alley. It's Korean thriller. There's an underlying social commentary. It's got a really strong aesthetic and atmosphere and like cool set pieces. And so I was kind of hoping that I would enjoy it as much as I wanted to. And I really did. I haven't quite finished it yet, but uh, the game scenes, very tense and nerve wracking. I think you really on the edge of your seat with some of those moments and the acting is superb. I think that's what sells it. I think you need that strong acting with the layers to kind of sell this kind of idea and you really start to benefit as the episodes go on from the time you've spent with these characters and getting to know them a bit and you know that's with all that human underside is where the things get interesting so I was sweating under the collar for a couple of moments um which I like when a show can can do that um yeah I think there's the themes nothing new or groundbreaking and you know I'd argue it's not even a groundbreaking way of showing these themes but there's something about it that I did think was was new enough to grab me because you know the whole debt cycles rich versus the poor capitalism being you know the game of capitalism etc so you know I think all of that we've seen many many times but I I liked what they were doing here I thought the same Hmm. plus there was some very unexpected ways of doing things in this. There's a a twist that takes place early in the story where I really thought they would have just kept on with the main plot, but then Mm. they did something that twisted it back, got us in a position to see some consequences, allowed us to de-immerse from the game environment and see why it's inevitable Mm. that these people are in this fix. Yeah. And also... I also liked it as a mystery too. You know, I had come out of this with questions and I haven't finished watching it yet. What's in it for the organisers? You know, uh, is there some kind of experimentation going on? I almost thought it was like somebody writing their their dissertion on – (laughs) <laughs> on uh, team psychology or something like that. Yeah, it smacks a bit of an old Stanford prison experiment, you know, for the, the 21st century. I Yeah, I think you're right. It does have enough question marks that it's – and it's intending to leave you on cliffhangers and put twists in the story, but I do think it does it very well. I agree about that early on, the handling of the early on twist. I think that actually made me more engaged, whereas it could have done the opposite. There actually is a cliffhanger in one episode, a literal cliffhanger. <laughs> yeah. And but there are more there's more than that. There's a scene where they reclaim their names mm. in, instead of just using the numbers. And I found that very touching and affecting considering where we were in the story. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's fascinating watching the shifting alliances in the dwindling number of uh, players. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And <laughs> they even found time to throw in a thing about a side hustle which I thought was <laughs> <laughs> gruesomely weird. 
<laughs> yes, that was an interesting uh, little uh, story bump. But yeah. look, I'll, I'll give it to them. I'll give it to them. And, you know, I think as we hone in more and more on the con- towards the conclusion, as we pick up pace, it makes a lot of sense about the things they're focused on and the the different character stories they've focused on. And I actually think it's a nice balance. There's not too much backstory stuff. There's not too much game stuff. Like it could be that seeing this tense game after game after game could have become quite tiring, but they break it up with just enough, you know, of other content. So I think the direction and pacing and the writing is 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 quite excellent actually. Watch out for, and this is just a public service announcement, uh, a strong strobing effect in episode four. Good point. Yeah, good call out. Uh, or maybe not watch out for it, but if you are affected by that kind of thing, then there should be uh, notice taken of that. Yeah, well, photosensitive viewers should just be aware of that. Mm. Also, I thought that um, that the design in this, it really calls out to... <laughs> A movie which not too many other people will have seen the the uh, the five thousand fingers of Doctor T, which is a very <laughs> surreal sort of kids movie. Mm-hmm. There's a lot in that. That's what elevates it for me in in this that mm. respect. Apart from all of the the other good things about it, it's that set design that really throws you into this curious situation. Yeah, and it makes you feel like you're being in there, de- being dehumanised as well as these people yeah. who are caught in this terrible trap. Yeah. And yeah. there are the sort of questions that are raised and then answered. Uh, I'm just thinking of uh, probably Buffy the Vampire Slayer season four, I think. I had the question, why the hell hasn't anyone else noticed what's going on in this small town? <laughs> where's the government interest, you know? Yeah, yeah. And, of course, that's there we what, go. There we go. They did that. and Yeah. This series also answers that question. Surely someone would have noticed. Well, someone does. But I won't go anywhere near the rest of that (laughs) because that would be telling. Mm. I I will say I will say there's some it's not perfect by any stretch. There's some elite elements. I don't think you're quite there yet, Rob. We're a little naff and overdone. Like I don't need more examples of the excesses of wealth, I'll just say that. But look, I think I forgive the show for some of the things I think didn't quite hit as well because it's doing a lot of other things. The procedural is solid, like you said, and the characters are solid. So if it has a bit of a weird misstep and, and a bit of an overdoing some some stuff, I'm kind of okay with it. We are talking about Squid Game. Mm. <laughs> I love the title. Oh, and um, okay, uh, I'm not South Korean, so I've never grown up with South Korean kids' games. Fear mm. not if you are in that same boat because a lot of these games, they feel like they've got universal ideas yep. running through them and several of them I played variations of when I went yep. to school, which was mm-hmm. a fairly long time ago, but, but I remember them. I don't remember the lethal part of them, mm. but then again, maybe Dead Men Tell No Tales. So. <laughs> I, yeah. I survived my school years. <laughs> I think the games, the selection of games and how that's all run, that all of that setup is done really well. You start to see how the manipulation comes in. So, mm. but yes, you're quite right. Don't, don't feel, there'll be plenty that you recognize here as well in mm. terms of that stuff. Too, mm. So so enjoy yeah. it as it unfolds. It is like a fine meal of calamari. There are <laughs> lots of, lots of rings for you to explore as you go along. 
Absolutely. Lots of tentacles to different pathways, twisting and turning. Um, that is Squid Game on Netflix. Check it out. See what all the fuss is about. Uh, I, I think it's a definite yeah from me, Rob, but as I mentioned, it's really right up my alley. What's your zero G rating? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You know, we should reconvene too. Cause uh, good to note, I've still got one. I've got the finale waiting for me. And uh, Rob has not finished either, so who knows? It could drop the ball in the last, the last final stretch, but we'll see. We'll oh, my, see. oh my god! Don't drop the ball; they'll shoot you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, there's another thing. This one reminds me of uh, Stephen King's book, um, The Road. Oh, ah, yeah. There's a little bit of that in there. You know, that's okay. sort of another lethal sports. Anyway, mm-hmm. off we go. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, let's actually fly away to the moon. Well, let's play a track, our final track from Squid Game. This is Fly Me to the Moon. It is a version by Ju Won. And uh, that is to wrap up our discussion of Ochingo Game. This is Neil Gaiman. It's well past 2000 AD, but Tharg still listens to Zero G. That was Fly Me to the Moon by Chu Won, and we played that because we just finished talking about Squid Game, which is on Netflix and has become a massive cultural influence in South Korea, at least, uh, in terms of influencing the discourse during election campaigns. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there is so much merch yeah, available I from it. this show. I, started, I went down the rabbit hole online looking at <laughs> that stuff. And also there's a little bit of a controversy over the uh, English language subtitles. Oh, yeah, I think I think I read there's that as well. I found them to be okay, and I think generally they're all right. I'm not too sure exactly what the specific issues are. I guess translations are funny because I think you may lose some of those nuances. I think that's kind of the key complaint. I think my main thing I've heard is the dub is not very good. I didn't. Did you listen to it with the Korean and the subtitles or the dub? I listen to it with the Korean and the subtitles. Yeah, yeah, so nice. Yeah. It is my general trend to do that. Yeah. Yeah. If I watch I would, something a second time, I may watch it with a dub mm, just to, just for contrast. Yeah, yeah. I would recommend the original Korean with subtitles, but, you know, obviously do what you will. <laughs> um, but I think the dub maybe isn't isn't meant to be as, as good as it could be. I try and watch them with one eye upon the subtitles, but I'm also looking at the actors' faces a lot to see yeah. what emotion mm. is playing across their face. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, we... <laughs> found that show to be the full squid and another one we've been watching lately is the massive aspirational epic foundation mm-hmm. on apple tv plus um a few more episodes in now we discussed that last week in fair detail i think four or five episodes in now there's lots of whole cloth cleverness in this adaptation of, of the great isaac asimov's classic iconic science fiction novels Mm-hmm. And there's the new material. Some of it I, I can see they pulled it in from the later Asimov books, uh-huh. uh, two prequels and two sequels to the Foundation trilogy. Right. And I'm a bit – here I'm a bit hesitant. I've got to see how this develops. Okay. They did actually uh, quote the classic line from the Foundation trilogy that violence is the last refuge of the incompetent. Mm-hmm. And I want to know, are we going to see that in action, so to speak? Asimov was very clear on demonstrating that principle and the solutions Mm. that the foundation comes up with to being surrounded by a disintegrating empire with barbarians at the gates as well as the remnant empire 
Well, the mm-hmm. solutions that they come up with in the books are clever. Yeah. But perhaps not particularly cinematic. Mm, yes, and we are looking at a big-budget TV show where we want to see rather than uh, have heavily theoretical <laughs> musings. It's all to do with applying the right lever at the right time to good effect, and it's not military force that wins the day. And also strongly embodied in the Foundation novels is that the scientist or the trader or the bureaucrat, pretty much anybody but the soldier, Mm, mm, mm. they're the hero. And so this is where my concern lies as this massive show cranks up with its concept of 80 episodes they'd like to do. Wow, that is ambitious. Mm. Now we've talked about some of the, the clever things that they've introduced, like the clone emperor uh, or emperors, I should say, and, Mm. you know, their way of depicting the fall of the empire, which I thought was a perfect metaphor, those sorts of things that they've introduced in there to give us some more human face protagonists, and that's all to the good. But if Mm. we lose that original flavour of Asimov's stories, where are we exactly? Are we? We could be in some equally or maybe even more impressive space in itself. That is possible. Mm. And that is, of course, the, the, the difficulty they're having with the adaptation, one which they've handled fairly well so far, the whole scientific concept of psychohistory, well, I yep. guess future science, about forecasting the actions of large populations en masse and not the individual. Yeah. Again, something really hard to depict when you've got to have actual characters on screen. Yeah. Exactly. And they're trying really hard to extend the presence of those characters on screen, for for example, by literally fridging one character. (laughs) That's the level of technology we've got here. Oh, and another thing I found out uh, that Frank Herbert's Dune was partly inspired by the idea of psychohistory, and he was fascinated with the individual actually making a big difference. Yeah, so Mm -hmm. you've got the... the, uh, the notional messiah, Paul Atreides, in the, in the Foundation trilogy, when we get to that bit, there's a mutant that upsets the apple cart called the mule. So okay. that actually is seen as a, a chaos factor. Right, right. Interesting. And so I thought that we could have a track here. So it's going to be continued, really, our, our, our thought about uh, the Foundation series. We're going to mm-hmm. see where it goes. I'm, yeah. I'm on board for the moment. okay uh so the track that i wanted to pick is actually called the mule it's by deep purple came out in their 1971 album fireball and you know this is uh about sort of a superman character well kind of a demonic character but they've also said that this was inspired by the mule character from asimov's foundation series so i thought yeah let's go with the mule so i'm forecasting the future here myself because I haven't actually reached that part in the Foundation series yet. Hi, this is Fraser Hines. You're listening to Zero G on 3 R FM. I played the companion to Patrick Troughton's second Doctor, the Highlander, Jamie McCrimmon, and there can only be one. That's McCrimmon. Craig and Tour! The Mule! Suddenly <laughs> playing along there, Deep Purple's 1971 album Fireball with its featured drum solo by Ian Pace. All right, now, I just want to mention a few other things that have rocked my boat (laughs) (laughs) in the science fictional world. I've been 
really enjoying the Marvel's What If animated series. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Finished its first season now. Ah, oh, some great stuff in there. They have been oh, doing sterling service there, massively cinematic mm-hmm. towards the end of the series where they've been assembling the Guardians of the Multiverse, which riffs off the Loki TV series quite nicely and Mm. I believe sets up something for the uh, Doctor Strange multiverse movie too. So excited for that. Yeah. I'm just so excited to see any Marvel movie at the moment. Yes, Shang-Chi, I really want to see it. Okay, so uh, the stories I found particularly enthralling were the actual (laughs) assembly of those guardians because they'd Mm -hmm. set it up earlier in the season and they gave us all these new sort of avengers at the end of it i would watch the hell out of a live action series with hayley atwell and captain carter i think that'd be a great show uh not so much maybe party thor (laughs) (laughs) but but t'challa star lord yeah yeah Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Although you get kind of sick of him just being great all the time. <laughs> but, oh, my God, the zombie episode was classic, and I, I'm just there for the whole thing. And they had a battle that was so mighty at the end of the series, it was literally world-shattering. And you thought, oh, my gosh. And if I may give you one little spoiler because, of course, they, they haven't actually got Robert Downey Jr. doing the voice of Tony Stark Iron Man, mm. uh, but they have actually got the actor who does the voice for Marvel's other animated series, so fair dues. And they've gone to great lengths to get other actors from the MCU. Yes. You know, mm. So we've actually had uh, Chadwick Boseman's last performances as the Black Panther in What If, in animated voiceover form. And... <laughs> There's a moment where they're assembling the guardians of the multiverse and the watcher <laughs> is going out and picking out chosen ones from all of the time streams. Yep. And there's Tony Stark in, I'm not exactly sure which universe he's in, but he seems to be working with the guardians of the galaxy. He's got mm-hmm. a, the usual massive Stark tech suit and the watcher appears and Gamora looks up at him and goes, wow, you know, and everyone's going, what is that? And and the Watcher starts giving his spiel about, you have been chosen, etc. And Stark is like, oh, yeah, obviously, you know, I'm Tony Stark. This checks out. I was waiting. And the Watcher says, not you, Stark. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and you know me, Iron Man fan forever. <laughs> yeah. But always willing to laugh at how Tony <laughs> Okay, look, if you haven't seen What If, I've given you a few spoilers away there, but trust me, there's a, um, it's, I thought it was actually very well animated, especially towards the end. Yep. And just the, the fun that they had with the story ideas was great. You know, they're not afraid yeah. to just kick out the jams and do what they want. <laughs> it's nice to have a space where they can be experimental and, you know, explore some ideas that do exist in the comic, like from what I understand. So, but it's just a nice sort of side, a little side hustle for them to get, mm. have a bit of fun and, and see what, what really flies and works in that format. So I, I dropped off a bit on it, but I should pick it up and, and, mm. and continue. I think especially because there's a bit of a dearth of Marvel content and things I can watch at the moment. So that might be a fun one to get back into. It will tide you over until more, the more live action ones like the, Excellent. the new Hawkeye series. 
I'm very excited about the new Hawkeye series coming very soon. So my I've put that on my little notepad of series that I'm excited about. So that'll be great to see his return. Obviously, Jeremy Renner is reprising his role. And here's a, a hot rumour. Hasn't really, to my mind, been completely confirmed, but it might be at mm-hmm. any moment. Okay. Netflix had the rights to certain characters to do their Marvel television series. Yep. Yep. The Defenders series of Jessica movies. Jessica Jones, yeah, yeah. All of those. Uh, there was a grace period that they had before the rights revert to Marvel. Okay. That has passed. Oh, so we might be seeing some of those Jessica characters. Jones and okay. the Punisher, at least, played by the actors who played them in the Netflix series. I would love that. Ooh. I would really love that. Because I think Kristen Ritter is amazing as Jessica Jones. That's my standout from that suite of shows, to be honest. Mm. Uh, so that's quite exciting. <laughs> really. Yeah. I mean, rumours, rumours, but yeah. let's keep an eye on that one. Mm. Also, uh, the Doctor Who future is getting a bit more crystallised. We've seen a trailer mm-hmm. for the Halloween special in November, I think it is, uh, that would be The Flux. And apparently all the villains are coming back. So Jodie Whittaker's doctor was there to warn us that things are getting nice. very bad. And so, of course, Jodie is leaving and so is uh, Chris Chibnall, the showrunner. Oh, with wow. the, the 60th anniversary of Doctor Who coming up soon, they've got Russell T Davies returning as the showrunner. And, of course, mm-hmm. he is the, the guy who successfully rebooted the show between 2005 and 2010 with Christopher Eccleston and David Tennant in the roles of the Doctor respectively and also spun off Torchwood and the Sarah Jane Adventures and, you know, so many other different things that he has become iconic Mm. in his own right for other television shows too. Yeah. So they've gone with sort of safe hands, you know, going back to the guy who... Yeah, a return to the kind of original uh, visionary. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And they've also announced the uh, the next classic series Blu-ray box set release, yeah. which will be Tom Baker's, I think it's the 17th season of Doctor Who, so probably something like this, what would you call it, the penultimate uh, season of Tom Baker's Sojourn as the Doctor. Nice. Plus they've been re-releasing stuff with um, animation taking the place of missing episodes as well, the varying degrees of success. Mm. Yes, it sounds a bit like it could be a hit or miss there. Yeah, some of it's not. Look, it's not really high-end animation, and that's a problem. You really, they should have put a bit more money into it, I think. Oh, well, okay. Well, we're coming up to the end of Zero G today. And what a show. Yeah, it was just, I really feel like going off and watching more Squid Games, so I'll probably just do that. <laughs> does get you feeling that, doesn't it? That is kind of the, quite the sentiment, I think. And here I was looking for another genre sitcom, and, well, I'm not there yet. <laughs> I know. You've, you headed down the dystopia survival path, but that's all right. We can veer back to the, the happy path at some point in the future. Do you think Squid Game is a metaphor for the times we're passing through? Maybe. Maybe. Or maybe it's just that's what we're ready to, for to watch on TV. This is the stage of the pandemic that we're at. Yeah, I think in some ways too, like, because it's such a, ba- it's kind of, there's, it's easy for the brain to grip onto, whereas I know my brain isn't, isn't able to necessarily. Foundation was a bit much for me. The old feeble brain's not quite there. Oh, yes, I wouldn't say exactly the same for me. 
<laughs> it's probably way worse. <laughs> and then you have to factor in the fact that my brain wasn't altogether there to start with. So, <laughs> oh, all this talk of brains has made me hungry. So <laughs> that's it for Zero G for today. <laughs> I'd like to say thank you to Kayla Larson, our podcaster, or perhaps she is the hidden game master. Puppeteering. Puppeteering Zero yes. G. <laughs> Joe Brunatic is coming up next with Astral Glamour. And we are going to go out with a track called Appropriately Riffing Off Marvel. What would Peggy Carter do? This is by Kate Nix, NYX. Uh, it's a single, uh, she's a folk singer, self described fairy and maker of things. And she's based in uh, Pennsylvania over in the USA. So what would Peggy Carter do? She would knock their socks off. G'day, this is Rob Jan. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R's Zero G, a weekly radio show exploring science fiction, fantasy and historical. Zero G is broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia every Monday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via our Facebook page or the Triple R website.